0: What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com, so make sure you grab your copies there. And you're listening to the Black Men in White Coats podcast, the place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their stories with individuals such as yourself. Super excited to get into this week's episode and introduce you to Nii Shoei Tan. But before I do that, I'd like to ask for a big favor. It's a personal favor. And that favor is for you all to subscribe to this podcast. You know, my mission is to get this out to as many people as possible so they can hear these stories and we can help change the narrative of the black man in America. We can help inspire the next generation of young black men to consider careers in medicine. And even if they don't, they can go do other things. And, you know, going off sidetrack a little bit here, just to prove a point. We had a young individual, I won't mention her name, but she's been all over the news lately and she used to be on one of our other platforms. It was a pre-med platform. And I should say the only reason I won't mention her name is because I haven't asked her parents for permission, but she's a younger student and she's done very well. She's, she's way advanced for her age, still very young, but she just got into a whole lot of graduate school. She's all over TV right now. She's been on some of the biggest national TV shows and she used to be part of one of my other companies, um, premed star. She used to be part of that platform as a premedical student. And she was a superstar then, even when she was way younger than everybody. But along the journey, she changed and she didn't want to do premed anymore. She found her calling in something else. And now she's become a superstar. Uh, Superstar is probably an understatement, a super, super, super duper star in that area, the career path that she chose to go into. And, you know, that's evidenced by the fact that she's all over the news. And she's going to be great at it. She's going to be one of the best at it. Right. So the point I want to make is even if a student is listening to this podcast or if you're a student, even if you don't go into medicine, My hope is that what you hear here on this podcast, the leadership lessons, all those things will shape you into becoming a better leader no matter what field you choose to go into, right? So this this podcast isn't just for people who are going to go into medicine. This podcast is for young black men who want to hear what it sounds like to develop yourself into a professional, who want to hear what it sounds like to develop yourself into a leader, right? So I ask you all to subscribe to the podcast. The more subscriptions, the higher the rankings we get, the more people get to see us and find us. The second thing is, please just share it. If you share the podcast with your friends, just copy the link. I'll put the link below. Uh, Just share it. Send it to your pre-med club. Send it to your church group. Send it to your PTA association. Send it to your next door neighbor. Put it on GroupMe, WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it is. Just help get the word out because there is some absolute gold here on these episodes. Every single one of these episodes. Every last one has some amazing stuff that every young black man and girl should hear right so that's why that's why we do this podcast i definitely appreciate your help in getting it out that'd be that'd be my reward is if you can help share this podcast i will be very grateful all right so let me hop into this episode today let me hop into it okay this is going to be me Shoitan. itan Shoitan is a medical student and i really 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 like this episode i'm going to tell you why in this episode he does maybe one of the best jobs i've heard of anybody taking you through their journey and expressing the emotions associated with it and the feelings and kind of the thought process behind it, right? So he's not just telling the story of how he got to be where he's at, but he's telling you the thought process behind it. And I just think that's awesome. I think that that's absolutely amazing. All right. So listen to it. Listen to how he's talking about the feelings. And I'm just going to do one spoiler alert and tell you one thing he said, which I thought was phenomenal. And it was, I didn't realize how different it is when you can't see yourself there. So that was somebody else telling this to me, saying, hey, me, I didn't realize how different it is when you can't see yourself there. Meaning when you don't see anybody who looks like you out there, how different the journey is for you to be, get there and to become successful. All right. So I'm not going to I wrote down a lot of notes when I listened to this episode because I just thought it was, you know, I just thought it was fire. You know, I thought this episode was so great. The thought process behind the way he delivered his story. I took down a lot of notes, but I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to. Ni Shoitan. Check it out. Hey
1: everyone, my name is Ni Adewale Shoitan, and I'm happy to be featured on Black Men in White Coats and be able to share my story with you. And just bear with me, I've been a little sick, so my voice might be a little hoarse. So to start from the beginning, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona and grew up there for the entirety of my life until I started medical school. I was went to charter school at a school called Bright Beginnings and that was one of the first times immediately where I was the only um, black student at the school with the exception of my sister. And I kind of went through the classes not really knowing anything about diversity because I was so young. and. It was there where I kind of got an intro to like people not really understanding what it was like for someone to be like black versus not. Right. And it was nice because I had a lot of close friends. I didn't really think anything of it, especially my friend Josh Wyckoff. I remember specifically um, I would spend time with his family when I had to um, when things were going on in my family. I didn't know about at the time. And then if I fast forward to junior high, that was a great experience for me. In my opinion, it was one of the few schools in the area where there was a large amount of minority students. And at the time, I didn't realize how far that was from the norm, because most of my friends were African American or Hispanic. Um, Lots of people were Spanish speaking, like primarily with English as their second language. And that was something I thought nothing of. And it was there where I started to realize I wanted some kind of job in the future, whatever it was, I just wanted to make sure it was like, fulfilling and that it would help people because I realized I got most of my satisfaction from helping out my friends when they were going through a stressful time or anything like that. And so at that time, I actually thought maybe I wanted to do psychology just because it seemed simple. It was listening and it was supporting. And that was the only boxes I had to check at that time. And so then when I moved on to high school, I remember sitting in my freshman bio class, and that was the first time I'd taken one of the quote-unquote hard sciences. And I just loved the entire class. I remember I had it with Mr. Bell, and it was the most amazing experience ever. Every single time we came, I loved like every concept that we covered. And at that point, I was like, I needed a job that was still fulfilling, still helping people, but had a large emphasis on the sciences. And from pretty much from that day on, I decided that like being a doctor was what I wanted to do. I didn't know how hard it was going to be or anything like that, but I just started somewhere and wanted to start working towards it. So throughout the um, my years at high school, I took all the extra science classes I could. I filled my electives with science classes, taking the honors and AP classes whenever I could. But when I did this, I also learned something else. So Perry High School was in a completely new area, and it was predominantly white now. And this is when I became one of the few black students in the honors classes, and at the school in general, actually. I remember in all of my like science classes pretty much it was me and my friend Taylor Parson um who's actually now in PT school I'm really happy for him about that but it was just us almost all the time like working and if we weren't in the same class it wouldn't be uncommon for us to be the only black male in the class and that was when I started to realize that this is just like a breeding ground for like subtle microaggressions for example I started to get a lot of the really smart for a black guy kind of comments or like you speak like a white person because you speak so eloquently and at that time i didn't realize how how damaging that can be if they compound on top of each other and what you perceive intelligence is because for me i was like smart for a black guy was like a handicap like you're only smart because you're at this level of intelligence and you're black versus you're just a smart guy which is two very different concepts And so I kind of realized like I wasn't being as focused. I kind of got like happy with that and I was content. And I wasn't fully applying myself in my classes. Um, I was kind of just trying to get by with what I could. Um, Even when it came to applying for college, I really put it off. I remember my mom was like very annoyed with me about not um, applying for the honors college at ASU because I missed the deadline. And I didn't really like think about where I wanted to go. I never thought about going outside of the state school. Because I was just very nervous about applying for college in general and so this also came at a stressful time for me because my parents started to have their differences and eventually like led to divorce and that was a time that was hard for me and my sister and my brother um, especially um, because he's so much younger he was I think like five at the time and so going through all that I wasn't as focused on school I was kind of just trying to check the boxes because I had never had like true struggles in school yet and if I did, I kind of brushed them off. as like they weren't that important. And so it's the summer before college now, and when I was going to apply to ASU, my dad, who was an electrical engineer, he really told me that I should do a career in engineering because it would have stability and I'd make a lot of money, and it was what he had done before. And I like mentioned how I wanted to do biology and everything like that, and he kind of really pushed me to get out of that and go into the engineering field. And so I remember over summer when I applied to ASU, I actually applied into the engineering school and they accepted me to do that. And I was going to live with my friend Clayton, actually, who was also doing engineering. But like over summer, I just really had to like sit there and think to myself, is that actually what I want to do? Like I had been saying I wanted to be a physician since ninth grade, like without hesitation every time that was my answer, no matter who asked me. And so when I thought about that, I realized that. It was just completely wrong for me to go into this field knowing i would not love it at all and so actually three days before school started i had to contact the registrar's office and tell them that i wanted to switch into the life sciences school like as quick as possible and luckily i was able to before asu orientation started and clayton was kind of upset because you know we were going to be roommates and i (laughs) I abandoned him but he got over it it was cool we still hung out and I remember one of the very first things we ever did at ASU was something called ASU 101, and it was about a career planning, um, it was basically a career planning class. And of course it was a room full of pre-med students, um, because we were specifically in the life sciences one. And I remember the speaker they had to come talk to us said, who here wants to be a doctor? And in a room full of freshman pre-med students, like everybody raised their hand. And he was like, yeah, it looks like there's about like 200 or so of you that really want to do that. And then he just said, just know that probably 13 of you are going to make it and the room was like very silent everyone was surprised and i couldn't believe that he had said that and i remember sitting there thinking regardless i'll be one of those 13 people it doesn't matter i know what i want to do and i'm going to keep working towards it and so the years go on and then i'm doing well the classes hadn't challenged me yet i really was still not applying myself to my full potential i would say And then my first, like, true struggle happened, and it was OChem. It was the beast that everybody feared at ASU and probably just pre-meds in general because it's really that first class, in my opinion, where you can't fake it anymore. You really have to put in the time. And I realized that when I took my first test and I got a C, and it was super disheartening to me because I had never, like, tried in a class and then actually struggled when I had to do well. And that was a point where I kind of sat there, and I was like, if the field is this hard, like, Am I actually cut out for it? And then I remember, like, really thinking about this all the time, going to class at 7.30 in the morning three times a week, wondering if I was going to be able to, like, pass this class, get through it. And that was when I really had to, like, start getting for real. I was like, this class is going to get harder. I still have to do OKIM 2 after this. If I want to, like, do what I say I want to do, I need to put my money where my mouth is and really put that work in. And that was when I started to study more. I started to put in extra time. And I started to apply myself outside of school as well. And that was when I like got through this like first major milestone in my opinion, which was the first time that I really struggled and like overcame it. And after that I realized like I really needed to set my game up. Like med school was not just something you can walk into because you complete college. Like you need to be a good applicant. And so I also started to be a resident assistant at ASU. I did that for all three years. In my last year, I was the senior resident assistant of one of the dorm halls. And it was great because it was something that opened up my eyes to a lot of things I hadn't seen before. And it was just how different people can be. Because when you have the choice of your friends, you usually pick like-minded people. But when I was the resident assistant, I had to see like everybody. And so I saw people of all different races, sexual orientations, socioeconomic backgrounds. And that was something that I really needed because it opened up my eyes for how healthcare will be. Like, I won't be able to pick who needs me. I'm gonna help whoever does. And so with that growth, I also developed a sense of leadership when I was a senior RA. And that was what led to me applying myself more outside, I think, because I took classes that weren't required anymore for me. Like when I was at my senior year, I could have done the method where you coast and you take easy classes to boost your GPA and make sure it's um, rock solid for when you apply. But I decided that I really love science and I need to like keep chasing this passion. And so I ended up taking all extra classes like neurobiology, um, immunology, developmental bio, like lab and stuff like that. Things that were harder classes that had the risk of hurting your GPA, as most people would say. But I didn't care. I knew I was gonna work hard and do well in them. And I did actually, and they helped my GPA if anything. And then they helped my application to see that I really had these hard courses that I was serious about taking and how much I wanted to learn about science. And then senior year came along and I decided at that point that I was going to take a gap year. And so it was the very beginning of senior year that I was going to um, take my MCAT and it was the first time where I was like, I need to get even more serious and make. I made a study plan. I stuck to it every day, a couple hours for two months before the test I was studying. I worked at the juice bar over summer to make money at ASU's gym, and it was just slow because no one was there. And so between smoothie making, I was back on the books and taking practice quizzes and all that. And then I remember like August 20th came, and it was time for me to take the test. I rode my bike over to the um, testing center near ASU, and I actually got a flat on the way there. So I had to power through that. The struggle started early. And... Once I got there, I saw a bunch of other people super nervous. And like the first guy I talked to, I was like, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, oh, good. I'm just here to retake this for the third time. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Me too. Um, <laughs> but I was really hoping that it wouldn't come to that and I was going to do well my first time. So we had to see. So I went through the test. like all my test-taking skills um, that I had like, built up. I made sure I used them. I stayed focused. When I needed to take mental breaks, I took them if time allowed. And then I remember when I finally got to the end of that long test, it just asked you, like one final hurdle. Do you want to avoid your test so no one can see your scores or do you want to keep it since you don't know what you get for about a month? And even that was stressful because they had a little timer ticking while you had to decide. <laughs> and I said, of course, I'm going to send it. I don't have any baseline. So I sent my test and then it was the waiting. School had just started. It was senior year. Everything was going off um, without a hitch and I'm sitting there. And I was actually, I was getting my score and then I found out it was the day it was going to be. And I was actually with the girl that I was dating at the time. And we were sitting, we were both RA, So we were like sitting in the dorm room and I was like, I was just sweating. I was super stressed. I had to figure out what this was going to be like. And I remember opening it and I had like crushed my expectations. And I like literally jumped up and like hugged her super hard. And she was just so confused. And she's like, what are you even doing? <laughs> and I told her, I was like, oh, I've got my MCAT score back. And she was like, "Oh my God, that's so exciting!" And I like just had such a sigh of relief for the time because now I knew like I could apply when I wanted to because that was what it was really going to ride on, and also I wasn't going to have three hundred more bucks for a little while, <laughs> so I needed to make sure it counted. And then I'm um, senior year is going by great, and I'm in the flag football league with my friends, and we're doing whatever. Like we've been studying; the class load isn't as heavy anymore for us. And then in a flag football game where I'm jumping up for an interception, I had come down hard, and then I snapped my ACL clean in half. And I was like, I caught the ball, by the way. But still, I was like, of course, I have lost all this time. I have to get surgery now. I have to do all this. And so I kind of tried to ignore it, and I was walking like without, without pain, so I kind of just thought it was fine. And then like, I actually thought I might not have torn my ACL and tried to play soccer again, and then my knee just buckled again. And I was like, dang, I'm going to have to go and get this checked out. And so then I actually go to the sports medicine um, doctor at ASU. And she tells me, she does like one test. And she's just like, yeah, your ACL is completely blown. Like I can tell. And she's like, you'll need to follow up with an orthopedist. And I had like never had a major surgery or injury like um, with my musculoskeletal system. And I'm like, I don't know what to expect. So she's like, she's like, actually, we have this amazing orthopedic surgeon um, at ASU. She's like, let me see. Like, he might actually have had someone canceled today. And then she calls down there and sees that he had one appointment in about an hour. And she's like, you should go see him. He's really good. And so I call my mom and I let her know that my ACL is probably torn. I had to get imaging. And I go follow up with this guy and she's there and we're talking and he's like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, I was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. And he's like, oh, really? He's like, well, outside of working at ASU, he's like, I actually worked like at the Mayo Clinic, like one of Arizona's biggest hospitals. And I was like, oh really? I was like, do you like ever let people shout at you? And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, sure. You can come whenever. Just like email me if you really want to do this, like follow up. And I did. And so it was one of those things where like struggle can lead to success later on. I was surprised to see that me tearing my ACL led to something good when I thought it was only going to be bad. And so when I emailed him, he got me set up. He got me credentialed. I remember going to the OR, and it was the first time I'd been in anything clinical at all. And it was like a big step up. It was um, in the operating room with the team, sitting on the chair outside a little blue square. They told me not to be in, so I didn't mess anything up, <laughs> which was fair. But it was then where I really got—I got my passion like reignited again—to see how like how efficiently he operated, how much people's lives changed when they got something back as basic as walking, which you take for granted when you have been able to forever. And I realized, like, I really need, like, to be able to do this. And so I knew I needed to make my application even stronger. So I shadowed him a couple times. I think I had, like, seven separate ones. I would take notes in the back um, just to make sure I could talk about it when the time came for my application to be written. And... I applied for more, and I started to be a medical scribe in the emergency department at the Honor Health Hospitals in Scottsdale, and it was a group called um, SEA for Scottsdale Emergency Associates, Associates, Sorry, and it was a great time. I was super nervous. I did not know any of the real medical terminology or how the ER worked or anything like that, and I remember like showing up to my first um, training shift, and everything went well. I was feeling good, and then I'd have days that weren't, and they were like, not as great because I wasn't being as efficient, as quick as I needed to be. But I just made sure I kept working. I knew like if ever if I ever put my mind to something, I can make sure it's good. And so I remember my first day without the training wheels came up and I walked in and I'm like taking over for the scribe that was there all day so I can work 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. And they, they just told me, <clears throat> excuse me, they just told me, good luck. <laughs> I showed up, and there were three people in the waiting room. Um, There were three, or no, there were, sorry, there were 15 new people in the waiting room. There were three new patients waiting to be seen on our team. And there were, like, two turnover patients. And this was my first shift, like, alone. And so me and the doctor kind of struggled through, and things were tough. And it was the first time where I scribed, like, on my own, and things went very well, I would say, for my level at the time. And at that point, I got some more confidence and worked extra hard. I started to make good relationships with some of the doctors there, all the other scribes there, because a lot of them were pre-med, pre-PA, pre-nursing. Um, and so we were all kind of in the struggle together, and it was great to have that support system and a lot of like-minded people. But I also remember specifically that out of the like the we had such an amazing group of .ER. doctors and like such great mentors, but even then, there was not a single black male physician mentor that I like had access to. And also out of the scribes, I think there was maybe one other black scribe at a time. The only black people I would see in healthcare were either like the custodial staff or like the patient care techs, which every job was important, but I had never seen that a black person, especially a black male in the position that I wanted to be in, which was the physician. And I remember telling one of my friends about this. Um, Her name is Julia. And she was just like, She's like, wow, yeah, actually, I can't think of anyone either. She's like, I didn't realize how different it is when you can't see yourself there. And that was a big thing for me. I was like, it's important to be able to see yourself there. It's different when you have no doubts that you can do a job because you've seen it all the time. You see people like you doing it. But when you don't, you kind of have to just hope you can make it. And there's no one to really tell you that you can because they've been there. And that's what became super important to me. And it was in my personal statement when I applied to medical school. Like, I don't only want to do this for future patients. I want it to be future patients, people who want this career that look like me, and then at the end of that list, for myself to, like, reach my goals. And so I continued my, like, gap year working extra hard, making sure I could do everything I could because I needed to get in because I had a lot riding on it. And so I'm also volunteering at a pediatric hospital, which was just tough for me because peds is not my jam. (laughs) And I realized that very quickly. And so after I got what I thought was a strong application, I applied. Um, I just pulled the trigger early June and just waited and waited and waited. And it wasn't actually until November that I heard something. And it was Rush Medical College in Chicago that sent me an interview offer. And I remember I called my mom and I was like, oh, I interviewed. And she's like, she's like, you're going to get in. She's like, you've got the personal skills to interview and get into a school. And so I was like, I hope so. Um, My friend Julian, who had been scribing with me, actually went to the same school. So I called him and I was like, hey, can I stay with you? Like, I'm going to interview a rush. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, definitely. Like, it's going to be great. Like, you'll get into, I know it. And so it was the night before or the day before, sorry. And Julian is showing me around Chicago how to get around I'm just completely lost with public transit being from Arizona, and then that night came, I was asking him everything I could about what to say, um, how to prepare, and he just told me just to relax. he's like, you're gonna have a good day, like this is a great place for you like I know that and so that morning came, I walk over and it's 30 degrees, and my Arizona skin is not doing well, <laughs> but um I get there and he like he like drops me off pretty much like a Kid at a new school with no idea where to go. And I walk up to the interview room and I see the interview staff like right away just beam with excitement. And they're like, Oh, you look like you're a medical school applicant. And I just was like, Yeah, I am. And so they usher me in the room. And I remember I got there 15 minutes early, which I thought was not that early, but it was only me and one other kid in the room. Um, And we're all chatting about the weather because he was from Florida. His name's Noberto and he's actually in my class now. And Time went on. I was drinking coffee just because I was so cold and I don't even drink coffee. (laughs) And once everyone kind of filled in, we were all done talking. I remember the first thing that happened was um, Dr. Cynthia Boyd walks in, part of the admissions team, and she just slams the table. And this was shocking for two reasons. One was because I was super tired and I was kind of out of it because it was freezing. And then two, because she was the first like black physician I had been face to face with. And I hadn't even realized that before, because of course I knew black physicians existed, but I didn't realize I would never actually interacted with one until that very moment. And so I went through the interview day, just surprised by all the different like people of color that were working there, um, how open the staff was, how friendly everybody was. It was like a surreal experience. It was almost like it was fake. Like I wondered like, would this really continue? Like if I got into the school and I was lucky enough that I had a great day, talked to everybody there, and then waited two fateful weeks, which felt like a year, because I knew they would get back to me at that time, because they told us, and then I was lucky enough to get into the school, and at that point, I knew. I was like, Rush is the place for me. All the students I talked about it, they were like, you can make real change. We impact our community, and this is a community that needs you. And it was one of the first communities where there was a large population of people of color. And I was like, this is where I want to be. Like, I want to make real change here. And so once I got to Rush as an actual student, it was the same thing. Everybody, same personality, so open, really a group of people who want to make change. And I knew, like, I had made the perfect decision at that time. And so then I started taking classes. And then I meet, like, my second black mentor, and it's Dr. Carl Lambert. He was a facilitator for one of our group sessions. And I kind of talked to him and he's just like, he asked me how it was going. I would see him in the gym all the time. Um, And he really became like an immediate support. And so it was amazing how that quickly from leaving Arizona, I had two black mentors. After I had, had had none for 23 years. And so I guess I wasn't looking for them when I was like one, but you get the point. And so... I talked to a couple of the other African-American students and it was a kid named Hope and he tells me that, he's like, you should apply for um, an executive position at the Student National Medical Association or the SNMA. And I was at the time, I was being like, I don't know, like, how much work is it? Like, I, cause I wasn't fully confident in my abilities to be like a great med student. Cause I mean, naturally you, it's, you hear how hard it is and you don't know. And so. He's like he's like, "It will be fine. Like you can do it." And so I applied and I ended up getting the president um position of the SNMA. And it was like the best choice that I had ever made because it was the platform I wanted to make real suggestions, try to make real change, promote more diversity at Rush. And through the position I was able to talk to a lot of different applicants in the school, um doing interview day panels at the very end like what I had watched and what really inspired me. And to be able to do that was incredible. And so Since being at Rush, I have been trying, I've posted more on social media about being a black male in medicine and like really highlighting my friends whenever I can because it was something important. Like a lot of people don't see it until they're there or they don't see it at all. And so that was something I really want to change is that like I want everybody to see themselves in medicine before they get there and not have it take as long as it did for me. And so, one important thing I want people to know is even if it is hard, there's enough people that will tell you that you don't have any business practicing medicine. You shouldn't be one of those people. There's enough people trying to take you out. So you shouldn't be one of them and you shouldn't be helping them. I really hope that this story might be able to help you all because just remember like who you are, where you come from doesn't have to determine what you can do and where you can go. And so with that, I think that sums up my story primarily. And, I just want you all to know that I support you fully and I wish you all the best if you're pursuing this field. If you want it, you can get it. It just takes hard work, like I promise you. And so lastly, I just want you all to know, my name is Nii Adewale Shoetan and I'm a black man in a white coat and I'm waiting for you to be one too. Thank you.
0: Woo! Did I tell you that episode was going to be fire or did I tell you that episode was going to be fire? Again, just the way that he was able to tell you the story i felt like i was there on the journey with him and i, I was feeling his feelings and his emotions and, and i was understanding his thought process throughout Now i told you guys i took some notes all right let me let me tell you a couple of the other things which i just thought were amazing and starting from the beginning at a, at a young age he talks about how he felt isolated at a young age that's something that in the community as leaders in the community as parents as as a village That's something that we need to be aware of in our young black individuals. I know my children are already starting to talk to me about race, race relations. My five year old just yesterday was asking me questions. Uh, He had he had his date range date range wrong on this. But he said, Daddy, when mommy was born, is that when people used to be really, really mean to black people? And his older brother was like, no, that's when Papa was born talking about his grandfather. So they're they're becoming attuned to the attuned to this at a young age five years old seven years old right and just trying to figure this out and as Nee mentioned at a young age he realized he was one of the few black students and all of us haven't been there we know how that feels so we know what it feels like to be one of the few one of the one of the isolated ones and then he talked about at some point he started to feel these subtle microaggressions saying oh you're smart for a black guy right so that those are things that we need to be Aware of and pay mind to in our children because our children will start to feel these things if they don't have the appropriate reinforcements to support them and to explain to them what that means. For example, yesterday I had to explain to my children about what it meant when people used to be mean to black people and explain how my prayers that things are getting better and things are getting better, not things are definitely getting better, but then they're in a different way. And as as Ni mentioned, you have these subtle macroaggressions now. So, how do we? empower and equip our children to deal with these subtle microaggressions so we have to pay attention to that and i love that throughout the story and and how he brought that up and that's something for for parents to be thinking about hey i want to make sure you all also know about um, a few a few different resources so for pre-medical students we have the pre-health market so definitely make sure you check out www.prehealthmarket.com we have affordable services for pre-health students to help you be successful along this journey so Things like personal statement review, things such as how they study for MCAT so somebody will actually strategize with you, help you make your plan. And, and the person who does most of this, she, she, my goodness, she scored a 99 percentile, so she knows what she's doing. Things like, you know, med school interviews and other professional schools. And it's been a huge success so far. And it's just great seeing all these students who are actually getting in after using these services that they can all afford at the level of a student. I'm also launching something called Involving Parents, involvingparents.com. And that is where I use my expertise in coaching. So I trained to be a coach, a uh, development coach, and my expertise and all the research I've done in writing "How to Raise a Doctor" and over 15 years of developing the next generation of leaders in medicine. And specifically, what I do there is I coach the students and the parents together. The high school, collegiate level students coach them together to help that student become successful. Because we know the number one way for students to perform well academically is with, to have parental involvement. And to make sure that the parents know what's going on in the process and that the parents are equipped to help the child succeed, right? So that's that's a different a whole different type of beast, whole different type of ball game. That's more for parents who wants to make sure they equip their children. And, you know, there's a price tag to that. So it's an investment you have to make if you want to be serious about that because I'll invest my personal time in you. However, we do do a lot of other things. And for example, next week, we're going to be having a webinar. We'll be talking about becoming a doctor. And what to expect along the journey. That's a webinar. We'll put the registration link down below. So definitely make sure you guys check that out. Okay. All right. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode with me, Shoei Tan. And me, thank you so much for taking the time to record this. And just thank you for the way you're able to break down the thought process and make us feel that we're there in the journey with you. A lot of people can't do that. That's difficult to do. Very difficult to do. Okay. So definitely take that talent and figure out something good to do with it. Also, thank you for your service. You talked about you serving the SNMA and different things. Thank you for doing that, Need. So you guys have a wonderful week. Next week's episode is going to be great. I already already have it planned. and you know, We'll just drop it whenever um, the time comes next week. But it's going to be a phenomenal episode. Make sure you guys check it out, all right? Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share. Love you guys.